have no plans till 8 o'clock. <laughs> well, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. It's hard to believe, again, it's our final time with you, dear folks. Uh, we really have enjoyed being here, as always. And I, I met Mike Atwood. Uh, <laughs> I've heard about Mike for a long time. Him and I have a very uh, common close friend, Jim McKendrick, and uh, Jim mentions him every once in a while, and I say, well, I'm sorry, I've heard of him, but I don't know him. Well, now I know him. Uh, not well yet, but anyway, I've had a chance to uh, meet him, and that's a... Uh, uh, a privilege. Uh, I mentioned uh, this morning uh, we have a major task here tonight. Uh, we've been going through the seven churches, uh, and because of the schedule and what I was asked to speak on the first time I was here, uh, it cut short on this, so I wanted to get five of the churches done today. <laughs> uh, we got through two this morning. Is there a problem here? Oh, just the mic. You can't hear me? <laughs> well, <coughs> okay. Okay, is that better for everybody? Uh, so tonight we're going to have to try to get through three of these uh, churches. And obviously, uh, that meant I had to do quite a bit of reshuffling in my thinking and with my notes and all the stuff I have in there. But I felt it was important that we at least touch upon uh, the seven churches. Because, again, the importance of our study, at least from my perspective, was to be. To deal with why is the church struggling... And we have all kinds of people trying to tell us why. We have all kinds of conferences and things we go to and seminars and things, and those are all good. But the bottom line is, if we really want to know what pleases the Lord and displeases the Lord about the church, you look at what the Lord says pleases him or displeases him about the church. And thus far, we've looked at uh, four, uh, four different churches, and we've found out somewhat, too, that it is a little bit progressive uh, as you look at these churches, the direction we're going. And we began with the Church of Ephesus. And, of course, even though they were a flourishing church and doing very, very well, they weren't experiencing a lot of blessing for one simple reason. Their love for the Lord had diminished. And if you don't have love for the Lord, you can do all the service you want, and you're not going to experience the Lord's blessing. You have to love the Lord above all else. And I couldn't help but think as we were singing this song, All that thrills my soul is Jesus. You know, if that's really true, uh, the church's problems would be solved because Jesus Christ would be the center of everything and all of our service and everything we did and do and our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ would all be centered around the fact that all that thrills my soul is the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that was true at Ephesus to begin with, but obviously it wasn't 35 years later when John had a right you had fallen. And then we notice another thing that really pleased the Lord in the church at Smyrna is they remained faithful to the Lord to the very end. No matter what their end might be, they remained faithful to the Lord. That's what pleases him. And then we found out in the third church we looked at that we're not to be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed. Oh, that's the, the fourth one. Yeah, no, third one, that's right, Pergamum. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't allow the world to creep in, and yet how the world has crept in to our churches today. And then, of course, we found out again this morning we're to hold fast to Christ until his return. And I think the message is becoming very clear. It's so important, if we're going to flourish and continue to be a faithful remnant, remnant 
for the Lord Jesus Christ, he has to be the center of everything. And now tonight we're going to try to get through Sardis uh, in Philadelphia and Laodicea, and we'll just see how it goes. And again, it's going to be a, a rel relatively brief review, but I trust in the process we'll see as we read through the passages of Scripture and make a few comments about them. But again, really displeases the Lord and those things that please the Lord. And the idea being, again, it begins with you individually. The church is the body of Christ. Every believer is a living stone built in this marvelous organ, organism, which is the church. And as to the way this local body functions will depend upon how each individual person in this body functions. And the more that are pleasing the Lord, the greater this gathering of the Lord's people will please the Lord and bring glory to his name. So in Sardis, let's look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Pay very close attention to what we read because it's far more important than anything that I will have to say. Let's see what the, the Lord is saying here. Verse 1 of chapter 3, And to the angel of the church of Sardis in Sardis write, These things say he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect or complete before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and, will not, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Now, the word Sardis means a remnant and or those who have escaped. Well, escaped what? Well, you go back to the church at Tyra Tyra. And of course, here we have Roman Catholicism and all the things that are gone along with that. And we know from history, there was a long period of time in history, how they brutally tried to force everyone to submit to their false teaching, their false doctrine. And they were, they were uh, uh, really an abomination unto the Lord with the spiritual idolatry and fornication that they allowed to come in to so-called Christendom. And now we move into the time of Sardis. And of course it says we have a small remnant now. And that remnant are those who have escaped this evil practice. And of course it began well, this particular church, with the Holy Spirit working through godly men and women to stand up against the false doctrines of Romanism. And of course, what they primarily did is that they started to focus on the person of Christ more so. You see, they wanted to get back to the truths concerning the work of Christ and the mysteries of the church revealed in the epistles during the Reformation period. And we're all aware, if you read about the Reformation period, many of the people who were involved 
and pulling away from this and what they had to go through and all these things. This church started really well. In fact, somebody has written about this church that has been called the greatest work up to that time since the days of the apostles. But out of it came the human systems and denominations known as Protestantism that developed into a lifeless thing. You see, it started good. But you know, Protestants aren't any better than Catholics. There's no scriptural basis for either one. Because you see, even though they pulled away from one, as you look at what we call Protestantism today, is so much form and liturgy and everything else, they begin to adopt all the same things. And there was only a small remnant, you know, that started well. But obviously, they didn't last too long and, and uh, continue to do what they were called upon to do. And it's no wonder that the Lord appears in verse 1 as he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. You see, he forcefully reminds them that it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that he controls the churches and their messengers. Do you understand how important the working of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is in the church being effective. Without the Spirit of God, he says, I am, you know, related to the seven spirits of the seven messengers. Pay attention to the Spirit of God. Let him lead and guide and direct you in your spiritual lives. Don't look to religion. Don't look to formalized denominations and things. Keep your eyes focused on the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one who has the power to enable you to do those things that pleases the Lord. And it's interesting, as you look at the last part of verse 1, he clearly sees their work. But here I want you to note as you look at that, here the only words of approval are actually a word of rebuke. Notice what he says here at the end of verse 1. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. Sounds good. But you are dead. There's the approval, but really a rebuke. You know, you look like you're alive, but you're not. You're really dead. You see, Christ declared that Sardis had a reputation of being a Christian assembly. But in actuality, they were doing nothing. They were a dead church. Now again, we're looking at our own lives to remember first. You know, it's interesting, we also read in Scripture here in 2 Timothy 3, 5, they said, you know, they had a form of godliness, but they denied the power of God in their lives. And as we speak about this, I'm not picking on anybody here. That's not my purpose. My purpose here is just to let you look at yourself as a member of the body of Christ, first of all, individually as the church. You profess to know and love the Lord. We just got through singing about all those things so beautifully. 
You know, we can profess to be a living, active assembly. But how does the Lord view your life and this body? Could it be like we have here in Sardis? Or are we one of those, hopefully, faithful remnant who has the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God utmost and foremost in every aspect of our lives and our assembling together? I came across something by Gene Campbell Morgan where he indicates there are four evidences of life in a living church. And we'll just quickly pass them on. The first one he lists is growth. Now, you might be surprised what he's referring to in growth there. It's very simple. Growth in its members through fellowship with Christ and one another. Oh, yes, we always like to talk about growth in numbers. But you see, there's not going to be any growth in numbers until there's growth in you. (laughs) See, that's the type of growth that is involved in a living church is growth in the spiritual lives of those who fellowship amongst the Lord's people. It begins with individuals in that church. Second, there's emotion. It is the dead who have no tears, no laughter, no music, no mourning. The church that lives exhibits emotion, is full of tears, laughter, breaks into song, and silent in pain. Emotion. You know, we don't like to talk about emotion in church sometimes. But, you know, the greatest thing that I remember about the day I was saved, other than the peace that came at the end, was the emotion that gripped me when I realized that I needed the Lord as my Savior. I'll tell you, this old heart was pounding. Emotion is a very important thing if there's life. If there's no emotion, there's no life. The third thing, union. Disintegration is the sign of death. And how we said it in the church today, just cannot get along one with another. You know, Ephesians 4, 3 and 4, we read, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is unity and a bond of peace. It's amazing today why we have so many dead churches. We just can't get along one with another. Sad, isn't it? If Christ is everything. And finally, compassion. The church that has no compassion for the lost, the brokenhearted, the outcast, and those who have stumbled in the faith is dead. You know, the last one really hit me. You know, there are so many people who know the Lord, including myself, who stumble in the faith. Is there anybody here who has never stumbled in their faith? And the sad thing is, it's not not the stumbling in itself, it's how they're treated once they stumble. You see, instead of having compassion and reaching out. And with the word of God and the spirit of God, move forward and try to restore them. Pick them up so they can move on. That's what happens in a living church. I think G. Campbell Morgan has some pretty good ideas as to what a living church is like. And then in verses 2 and 3, we have the loving counsel. 
And it's, it's, I have not found any works of yours that have been brought to completeness or maturity. You know, we do a lot of dabbling in the household of God today. I appreciated D.L. Moody's comment. He said, I would rather say this one thing I do than say these 40 things I dabble in. And you know, as you look around in your own life, what is this one thing you're doing for the Lord in his service that brings honor and glory to him and builds up your brother and sister in Christ? You know, the day you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, a spiritual gift came into your life along with the Holy Spirit. At least one, maybe more in some cases. Are you exercising it? Using it? You see, that's what has to be done. The Lord says, I see these works, but nothing is being brought to maturity. You know, you start this, you start that, but nothing is getting done. And how much in Christendom today, they're running around doing all kinds of things instead of focusing on the most important thing, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ and what he would have you do in your life for him, in your service for him. You know, in, in, in this particular day and age of Sardis, and uh, it's really true today, they had all kinds of marvelous creeds. You know, Protestantism is known for all, all kinds of creeds. I used to have a friend that uh, would come and visit uh, with me at, at our assembly and some Sunday nights, and once in a while I would go to his church on a Sunday night, and I remember how different it was. We had to stand up two or three times and just quote these creeds. You read them right out of uh, the book. And, you know, it was just one thing after, I believe, I believe, I believe. And then they read and read and read. Oh, they're marvelous truths. I mean, the creeds have marvelous truths in them. But the problem is they were speaking the creeds, but they don't live by them. And how about you and I? We know all kinds of the truths. We can quote the scriptures. And that's nice. But do you live by the scriptures? See, that's what matters. It has to be more than I believe. If I really believe, it's put into action. You will know what I believe by the actions that you see in my life. James writes, and this is uh, the New Testament uh, in the, from uh, the Greek uh, by Worst, the in, in James 2.17, what profit is there, my brethren, if a person is saying, I am in possession of faith, and he is not in possession of works? I think the difference in the translation is the word possession. You know, it's easy to say I have faith, profess it and profess it and profess it. And all those creeds said, oh, I have faith, I believe in this. But what good is it? God's word says, if you don't put it to action. And then in verses 2 and 3, the Lord gives five necessary actions that lead to a life of fellowship with himself. And they are remember, awake, repent, hold fast, and strengthen or watch. And it's interesting that all of these deal with the past, present, and the future. In the past, 
where the call is a call to awake and remember. In other words, be remembering what? Well, the spiritual heritage that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're to remember. The Lord is ever calling us in his, to gather together around him. He wants our affection. He wants to fellowship with his people. The present, hold fast and keep and repent. Here we have the demand for self-examination and self-judgment, and that's kind of been the, the thrust of this whole series, is to examine yourself and see where you fit in here. Those things that you're doing that are pleasing the Lord, keep doing them. Those things where you are displeasing the Lord, from what we read in Scripture, repent. Turn it around and get back to the point where you are pleasing the Lord. And then there's the readiness for the future. He says, watch. What does it mean to watch in Scripture? Well, I believe it means to be alert, having your eyes and ears focused on God and his word. You know, if your eyes and ears are focused on the Lord and his word, all things are going to perk up spiritually in your life. You know, the final thing we just have to mention because our time is moving on. But this readiness for the future, I, I, I came across this. I was never aware of it, but we're talking about the church at Sardis here. And the Lord just says to him, them, awake, repent, remember, hold fast, and watch. And this is what I came across. It says, it is a remarkable fact that the Western Asia Minor, now Turkey, which was Sardis area, was once the brightest spot on earth for gospel witness. Today it is one of the darkest. Why? They did not listen to what the Spirit had to say to the church. And that's what he warns them here. See, if you don't listen and repent and turn, you're not going to exist. And that's exactly what took place there. But he did have a great commendation for the faithful remnant there in verses 4 through 6. Four things are to the overcomer. And that's the thing we've been encouraging you. We want you to be overcomers, not those who are overcome, but overcomers. The first thing he promises them is the white raiment, which I believe is a symbol of victory, purity, and joy. I think the second one is tied to that, fellowship with Christ. You see, they shall walk with him in victory. Purity and joy. It's the only way that it's going to be done. Then it says, names retained in the book of eternal life. And of course, this speaks, I believe, of assurance. And I was talking with Sam about this this afternoon, and we kind of agree on the same thing. You know, the, the whole idea is if you're walking faithfully with the Lord, you're assured a place in glory. You know, we have talked before, you know, true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are eternally secure. We've mentioned that many times up here. You know, such verses such as John 3.16, John 5.24, John 10.27 and 29 have this little word have, has, hath. Words that are written in the present continuous tense. They have, has, hath, everlasting life. You see, there's no such thing as temporary Everlasting life or temporary eternal life. That's an oxymoron. Every believer is written in the Lamb's book of life. 
And all this does is encourage us to know that's something we can be assured of, that we will always be with him if we remain faithful. And then the confession of their names before him and his father and the angels. And that has always amazed me that he is willing to confess me before the heavenly father and the angels. But you know, in Ephesians, or Hebrews 2.11, it says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all one, for which or this reason he is not ashamed to call us brethren. Oh, it pays to be an overcomer. It pays to be one who is faithful. That's how much the Lord thinks of those who are faithful to him. He's not ashamed of us. Marvelous truth. One that I, kind of blows my mind, but I, I, I rejoice in it all the time. How significant we are to the Lord. Well, let's move on to Philadelphia. Oh, it's going to be interesting. Okay. 7 through 13. Let's read 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, who is true, he who has the key of David, and who opens and, and no one shuts, and shuts and no one's opens. I know your works. I <clears throat> See, I have set before you an open door, which no one can shut, you have, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make no, lows of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you, because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Now, when we look at the Church of Philadelphia, I think all of us know this is one we know the name of. It means brotherly love or love for the brethren. And the Lord presents himself here, starting in verse 7 through 9, as the holy and true. See, these two names set forth a challenge of separation from evil in life and error in doctrine. Now, remember here, it's the Lord presenting himself as these things. He is holy, and he is true. And, of course, as we mentioned, it talks about separation from evil. We know he is. He's the holy God. And, of course, there's no error in his doctrine because his word is truth. Well, how does that relate to us? We should do the same and be the same. He also emphasizes he is the one that hath the key of David. That's a quote from Isaiah 22:22. 22, 22. And, of course, it's a symbol of stewardship. And, again, remember the Lord is talking concerning himself. What a faithful steward the Lord has always been and always will be to the work that he was sent to do. 
and it will continue right on through all eternity. But again, what's the message to us? We are to be faithful stewards of what he's entrusted to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the church is to be a faithful steward and guardian of the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. That's Jude, verse 3. He promises to open the doors of service which no man can shut. Now, when you think about the church at Philadelphia, this is primarily the church that is known and associated with evangelism. And, of course, during the 19th century, the evangelistic outreach and missions throughout Western Europe, Northern America, India, and so forth, is a well-known fact. And we know very well that the, the, the so-called brethren were very much involved in that great evangelistic move. You see, not only have they Sardis, you know, that moved away from Catholicism, but the Church of Philadelphia had gotten rid of both Catholicism and Protestantism. They were more concerned about gathering around the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the center of everything. And, of course, as they looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, they needed to rely and depend upon him to help them to reach out with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the world. And, you know, it says here that he promises to open the doors of service which no man can shut. And there's three things that come to mind here quickly. He alone opens and shuts doors for service. Do you understand that? Now, you may have a great desire to do something for the Lord. But you have to seek the Lord's wisdom and guide and direction in that. If it's the Lord's will, the door will be open. If it's not, it will be closed. And you know, all throughout the, out the world, people were trying to close the door to the evangelistic outreach of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord says, I'm the one who opens the door that no man can shut. And what that also tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ, he is sovereign in all things. The Lord's will is going to be done in our lives, in our gathering together, and in his church, in spite of us. The Lord's will is going to be done. He is sovereign, and he is in control. He wants to use his people. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. But he's the one who will determine how that will be done. Seek his wisdom and guidance and direction. Seek his face. He'll let you know. And you know, if you're not using what the Lord has given you, well, it's time you start using it. He gave you a gift, and he expects you to use it. And finally, absolutely everything depends upon Christ himself concerning the church. <laughs> you see, it's not what we try to do and what we want to do. We have to rely upon Christ. He's the one who determines what's going to happen. And he wants to bless it. He wants to bless us, and he will. And as you think about this church at Philadelphia, there's twice he says in verses 10 and, or 8 and 10, he speaks of obedience to the word. 
Live in obedience to the word. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Then why do we have such a hard time with it? Just live in obedience to God's word in your life. But you know, before you can live in obedience to it, you have to know it. You have to understand it. You know it by reading it, and you understand it because the Spirit of God will reveal it to you. It's not something you will figure out yourself, but you have to understand it's important you obey God's word in your life. He also says they did not deny his deity. How many times have we heard that in these churches? Defend the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Because without it, we're wasting our time here. If he is not God, a very God, which he is, we have nothing. You see, we have to defend the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. These dear saints hung on to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're to do as well. Also, he talks about faithfulness and devotion to his name. You know, this weak but feeble and faithful remnant relied upon the Lord for strength as they gathered in his name. Do you realize what weak vessels we are? Terribly weak vessels. In fact, we read in the scripture we're so weak and broken that you can see all kinds of cracks and holes in us. Well, why is that? It's so the glory of the Lord working through us shines out. There's nothing in us. It's all in the Lord and our service for him. So if you want to share the Lord Jesus Christ with people, which you should be doing, do it in the love of Christ. You know, there's so many special promises and loving counsels he gives here. These promises, like all the promises of those different churches, are the very for every child of God. In verse 10, the Lord pledges to those who love his name and keep his word that they will be exempt from the great tribulation period. Now, there may be some who might disagree with me on that, but we're not going to get into all of that stuff. But I believe that's what that promise is there. In verse 11, his return will be quickly, suddenly, imminent. He says here, hold fast, keep what you have in Christ. We've heard that before, haven't we? Hold on, hold fast to what you have in Christ. And finally, in verses 12 and 13, we have three additional promises. He says, I will. And when the Lord says, I will, he will. You can count on that. He says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. I believe that's symbolic of the permanent place in heaven for believers. Oh, how we long for that day. He says, I will write on them the name of my God and the city of my God. That means they will be eternally identified with the Father and his dear Son in heaven. And then he says, I will write upon him my new name. Now, we've had that before. And that refers to what we believe, acceptance by God and glory with him. Somebody wrote in relationship to this, we will have three names written upon him. The name of my God, the name of the city of my God, and then my new name, thus indicating Ownership, my God. Citizenship, the city of my God. And fellowship, my new name. 
acceptance by God in fellowship with him. Well, we only have a few minutes left. Let's at least just read through Laodicea and make a couple of comments here. As I said, this is awfully quick, and I'm not really comfortable doing that, but we trust that there's enough being said here that at least it'll light a little candle for you to go home and do a little bit more studying on these particular churches. But I do want to read what the Lord has to say about the church of Laodicea, because that's the, the church in which we find ourselves in. And to the angel of the church of the Laodicean write, These things says the Amen and the faithful and true witness in the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich. And listen to this carefully, because boy, this doesn't sound like the church today. I am rich have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also came and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I wish we had more time to deal with this. But just a couple of brief thoughts, and then the rest you're going to have to kind of dig on your own. But you know, this word Laodicea means the judging or rights of the people. The judging or the rights of the people. It's, called, it's known in America as democracy. Same idea. And I appreciate Ironside's comment on that. He says, could any other term more aptly describe the condition of present-day church affairs? The masses of people seem to declare the Roman slogan, the voice of the people is the voice of God. And you know, that's what's happened in the church today. The people say, I don't want to hear that. Okay, what do you want to hear? Well, we would like to hear this. Okay, the voice of the people replaces the voice of God. And that's what we're having in the church today. There's very few places in the world today where the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is ever preached anymore. Repentance is a word that nobody wants to deal with. The fact that there's a hell, you've got to be kidding me. That, none of these things are relevant anymore. They don't want to hear these things. And that's why you don't hear them. Uh, I challenge you sometime if you have the stomach for it, Sit for several hours and watch Christian television. It's appalling. But that's the church today. That's the church age we live in. But remember, there's a faithful remnant. There's always a faithful remnant. You be one of them. But you see, this is what's taking place here in the church of Laodicea. We're more in the 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time will come when they, the people... 
will in, not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust show, they gather to themselves teachers who will gratify their own personal desires. We have come to the sad, awful end of the church age. That's where we're headed. It's just around the corner. And you know, this idea of the people hearing tickling things. I had a neighbor who finally came to listen to me preach down in Palm Springs. I gave a good, hearty gospel message because he doesn't know the Lord and his wife. Uh, about a month or so later, he said, well, I want you to come and listen to this uh, preacher out of Houston. I'm not going to mention his name, but probably most of you know it because it's in Houston. And he said, I want you to listen to him and see what you, and let me know what you think. So I said, okay, you listen to me, I'll do it for you. I knew what he was talking about. I had no desire to listen. But I listened. And then he came and said, well, what do you think? I said, I think it was a waste of time. I said, he just told people what they wanted to hear. And everybody felt you know, left feeling good. He said, yeah, that's what I liked about it. Shouldn't you leave church feeling good? He said, I'm so sick of hearing about hell and sin. He never talked about that. And I thought, isn't that the truth? See, that's exactly what's happened in this day and age. The rights of the people have replaced the rights of God. And, you know, he identifies himself as the amen. And we all know from 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God are yea and amen through the Lord Jesus Christ. The yes or the yea is, affirms its quality. You can believe what he says. The amen is the settlement of the fact. You see, the Lord promises, he assures, and he fulfills his promises. You can't rely upon anybody else's word. You can't afford to listen to anybody else. You have to listen to the Lord and his word. He's the faithful and true, the amen, the faithful and true witness. He's the embodiment of truth. He, the originator of creation of God. You see how all of this is lacking today? Even in the churches today, creation is thrown out the window. There are several Christian colleges back in Michigan who aren't really Christian colleges anymore. They even now promote atheism and evolution. That's the direction it's going. That's unfortunately the world we live in. We know the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, physically, and the new birth, the new creation. Where do you have it? It's in and through the Lord Jesus Christ only. And, of course, the condition for this church age is simply in verses 15 to 17, as has been throughout. Repent. Repent. A change of mind and actions about God, sin, and self. And that's where it has to begin with all of us. We have to be willing to repent of our evil ways, of our compromising, allowing the world to creep in, and all the things we've been talking about that the Lord has laid before us. Repent. Change your mind in your actions about what God's word says, about sin in your life and self in relationship to God and his truth. And, of course, in this day and age, uh, biblical truth has be, been uh, replaced by what we call interpretive truth, which is to man's liking. 
And I, they said I could have a couple of minutes, so I'm going to take them. It's my last time back, so you can't give me. <laughs> but, you know, these are some terms, you know, over the years as an educator and, and, and one who's been speaking. But these are terms that now have kind of come into a play. Interpretive truth. Things like fundamentalism. See, it's correct in faith and doctrine, but lukewarm in love of Christ. Oh, I'm a fundamentalist. Big deal. If you don't have love for Christ, I don't care what you're fundamental about. Nobody's going to listen to it anyway. Exclusivism. They think separation means isolation. They ban contact with the lost and, unfortunately, other believers as well. That's true in all denominations. And it's true also in what we call undenominational brethren. It's amazing. We can't even get along with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, we can't, we can't, we have to isolate ourselves from them instead of fellowship with them. Ritualism, satisfied with creeds, external religion, prearranged rituals and worship. Tolerance, they deny every cardinal doctrine of the true faith once and for all delivered to the saints and accept any and all forms of doctrine today. Then there's words like socialism. I'm not talking about government here. It's a social gospel, active in social and political issues. The moral majority, protests, rallies. You know, Christians should be involved in trying to change the world through society. It's not going to happen. Only Christ can change lives of people. Occultism, occupied with the spirit world, healings, tongues, visions, new revelations, ecumenicalism, a world super church as the answer to man's problems and needs. Nonsense. Materialism, a prosperity gospel. We all know what that's all about. Foolishness. Materialism has nothing to do with God's blessing. It's spiritual blessings the Lord wants to bestow upon his people. You see, these are just a few of the many things that is true of this church of Laodicea. And then he, I have to close with the exhortations and the loving counsel because, you know, and this is given to his faithful remnant. Nobody else will listen. So he's now pleading to the faithful remnant, and he's saying this to them, so they won't wander. He says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. Don't worry about the gold that's out there to buy. Buy gold from him that's truly been tested by fire and is pure. You see, this speaks of God and his divine righteousness, and this is what makes you rich spiritually. His righteousness. You have that and you are rich beyond measure. White raiment speaks of the moral beauties of Christ. Those moral beauties of Christ should become practical, righteous beauties in our lives. Anoint your eyes with the eye salve. There's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we may see spiritual truth. And boy, you need the Spirit to open your eyes to spiritual truth today. There's just so much false teaching going around. It's unbelievable. And it's amazing the number of people, even those who know the Lord, get drug into these things. 
Why? Because they're lazy. They're lazy in spending time with the Word of God and the presence of God, allowing the Spirit of God to teach them spiritual truth. You see, if you know the truth, you won't have to worry about false teaching. You will recognize it immediately. Four words, love, rebuke, chasten, repent. Here we go again. I'm <laughs> not going to, can't elaborate on them, but I mentioned the four words. You check them out. These are things that the Lord is putting before us. And then the Lord's plain encouragement in verses 20 and 22. And, of course, this, this passage in 20 and 22 is uh, uh, taught by almost every evangelistic by, uh, teacher uh, who goes around seeking to sh uh, share the gospel. And, you know, that is, you know, I stand at the door and knock and so forth. Well, it isn't a gospel message. Now, there's nothing wrong with using it. Who is he addressing this to? Yes, and who in the church? The faithful remnant. You see, that's how bad it's getting. You know, it's interesting as you look at these concluding verses here. His plea, the verb tense is literally, Behold, I have taken my stand at the door and am knocking. So first, it denotes an attitude deliberately taken. He's deliberately standing outside the door of your heart. He's deliberately taking a stand there. And he says, I am knocking, continually knocking. You see, he wants fellowship with his people. And it's amazing today how many of the Lord's people are missing so much. Because they refuse to sit down in fellowship with the Lord. He wants to come in and sup with you. Fellowship with you. He longs for that. After all, isn't he the one who redeems you? Purchased you at such a tremendous price? And all he's saying to his blood-bought children, let me in your life. Let me in your life. Let me bless you, strengthen you, encourage you. You know, we've been looking at these seven churches. And these, the letters to the seven churches are remarkably a complete treatment of the problems that face the church today. We've covered them all very quickly in a couple of weeks. But you see, because these letters come from Christ personally, they take on a real great significance. I don't care if you listen to anybody else about what's going on in the church and what you should do. Listen to what the Lord has to say about it. That's significant. And I know as I study this, I have learned a greater appreciation for the importance of listening to what the Lord has to say about this. He's saying, in essence, Bob, that displeases me. Repent. This pleases me. Keep on doing it. And you know, we hope that we get far more of this pleases me than the rebuke. But when the rebuke comes, what are we supposed to do? You ought to know the word. 
repent and get back to walking close to the Lord. And it's important we do that, you know, because, you know, the Lord's coming back pretty quick. And when he comes back, I want to be found a good and faithful servant. How about you? Well, I'm sorry I went over 10 minutes. But we trust that these few lessons on the churches at least inspire you to get into it more and just really see what's going on in your life and the life of this assembly and make sure you're doing those things that please the Lord. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this time that we've been able to spend in your word. How thankful we are that your word is truth. It is powerful. It never changes. We're just so thankful, Lord, that those things that you have revealed to us are the things that are on your heart concerning those who are your blood-bought children. Oh, Lord, help us to be hearers, not only, or not only hearers of this word, but doers as well. May we truly look to you for wisdom and guidance and direction in our daily walk with thee. May we allow you to do a work in through our lives to your name's honor and glory. May we have a desire to stand fast and hold on to what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ in this wicked, sinful world. May we truly be a testimony of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in our lives and can do in the lives of those who we come in contact with. So, Lord, we just pray for this assembly. We commit them to your care and keeping. Just continue to work in and through their hearts and lives to your name's honor and glory. And may they remain ever faithful to you who is ever faithful to us. Part us now with your blessing. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.